Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. All right, good morning, everybody. My name is Jared. I'm the lead pastor here. We want to welcome you to Encounter Church today, as well as anybody who might be listening on the podcast. Uh, we just want to say thanks for taking time out of your week to listen as well. Uh, it is Mother's Day. So again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Everybody in the room here, I see several of you who are moms and a few people who I haven't even met, and it's great to see you. You know what's funny about Mother's Day is you never know who's going to come to church because I think a lot of people are like, their moms are like, come to my church, and so half of our people go to other places. So for those of you who came here today, thank you, and I would say to those moms, thanks for taking all of our people, mom. No, but I'm just kidding. Happy Mother's Day to everybody, and I thought that it would be fitting for us today. We're going to continue our uh, heroes and villains. Villains message series to celebrate Mother's Day by talking about an evil woman today. That's what we're going to be doing. Her name is Jezebel. How many of you have ever heard of the woman named Jezebel from the Bible? How many of you know the name because it's from the Bible versus just hearing it in pop culture? Two people. Okay, so this is good. So Jezebel isn't really uh, a main character in, in the story of the Bible, actually. So um, it's funny because when, when people uh, in our modern society hear the word Jezebel, they, they automatically attribute it to a negative term, but a lot of people don't know why. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Last week, we talked about three men who trusted God incredibly, and God rescued those men, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, today we're going to be talking about a woman named Jezebel, who isn't so much a main character in the story of the Bible, but her influential role in the life of a king named Ahab and the people of Israel is really what takes center stage. The story of Jezebel is really about influence, and it's really about spiritual corruption. And I was trying to think this week about a modern illustration that I could think of, of an individual that would help us as we guide ourselves through this story this week to try to picture it. Because, you know, oftentimes when you're hearing stories of somebody who lived thousands of years ago, it can be difficult for us to really understand. How many of you are familiar with the name Cersei Lannister? Anybody? Okay, so a few of you uh, have heard of this show called Game of Thrones. And as I was thinking about this week, the story of Jezebel, I came up with this, this, this concept in my mind of on this show, there is a woman who is a queen. Uh, she was married to a king at one point, and uh, she um, is what was called the queen mother. Now, on this show, Cersei Lannister is an individual who she's a little bit more of a main character than Jezebel is. But in the story of Game of Thrones, she is known most for her influence of other people and ultimately a corrupting influence. So as we go through today, the story of Jezebel, I want you to kind of picture Cersei Lannister. Now, if you've never seen Game of Thrones, it's okay. You can just picture her and hate her all you want, okay? She's really a mean person in the show. Um, but we can best view Jezebel Jezebel's legacy actually through the life of a man named King Ahab. So Ahab is the person we're going to kind of follow through, and we're going to see the influence of Jezebel through the life of Ahab and the people around her. Um, so we're going to start our story today in 1 Kings. If you have your Bible, uh, pull it out, or your smartphone, or your tablets, please pull them out. So here's, the, here's a challenge I'm going to say to every one of you. I want to start seeing you guys bring your Bibles to church, okay? If you don't have Bibles, we have them for free for you down here. We're also at the Connection Center, free Bibles, okay? 
okay? I also want you, and you can also know that, uh, that these are completely free, and then if you don't have one, I will buy one for you, okay? So I'm just telling you, have a Bible. But I also think everybody in the room pretty much has a smartphone and a tablet. So get the YouVersion Bible app. Just type in Bible in the app store, wherever you find it, I promise you it'll be the number one app, okay? So download it, and you'll be able to follow along with us. So 1 Kings chapter 16 Verses 29 to 33, this is where we first experience or introduced it to Jezebel. Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 22 years, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. How would you like to be known as that person? That you, what you're known for is that you've done more evil than even the people before you. Verse 31, and as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, who was uh, a king before him, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down and worship to Baal. First, Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole which is a, a, like a totem pole designed to worship another god. So Baal's one god, Asherah is another. He did more to provoke, again, the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the other kings of Israel before him. So not a great track record for this guy, Ahab. Now, there are a few important things to note about this passage of Scripture. The first thing is you might have noticed in the passage that it says that he was the king while there was another king at the same time. How can that be? Well, it's because Israel was split into two nations, okay, or to two kingdoms. So it, during, the, during a certain period of time, during the Israelite history, the kingdoms actually split in half, each with their own king. And that was happening because of tribal rebellions, but mostly because of idolatry. So what happened was King David, most of you guys have heard of David and Goliath at a minimum. David was, a, was considered to be the greatest king of Israel. And what happened was that he was punished because of how he sinned in his life. And ultimately, uh, the, his son decided to want to overthrow David and started his own kingdom and basically rallied half of the, the rest of the people to go to the northern part of the kingdom and split off and make a new king. So they were fighting against each other. They were warring against each other. And in the south, the kingdom was called Judah. But in the north, the kingdom was called Israel. So that's kind of confusing because you're like, I thought it was all Israel. And it is when God speaks. But when, when people are speaking, they're talking about the northern element of the kingdom when the southern element is called Judah, okay? So King Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom. So now the second thing is that the people of Israel, this is important to know, the people of Israel were to be set apart. So God, when he created the nation of Israel, told them that you are to not worship any other gods and you're not supposed to marry anybody outside of your faith or your religion or even out of your race unless they come into your to your, your faith, because he knew that if they married people from outside of what they knew to be God's design for their life, that they would begin to be corrupted and ultimately begin to serve the other gods. Okay, so he knew that. So that's very important. But here's number three. King Ahab did both. He did both of those things. First, he married a woman from Sidonia or Phoenicia, which we know as is the area of Lebanon and Syria. Okay, so you have, if you're going along the Mediterranean Sea, you have Israel, and just north is Lebanon and then Syria. Okay, that's, this is the area right here. So we can see Israel down here on the bottom of the map, Jerusalem. The northern kingdom is up here, and you can see up top where it says Sidon. That area is where Jezebel was from. 
So what happened was, is that King Ahab, in order to kind of solidify his, his uh, power hold on the northern kingdom, to protect him from the armies in the south, he created an alliance with the northern areas so that they would have strength. And in order to do that, in those times, you would marry someone from that, from that other nation to solidify that, because now we're family, we have to fight together, okay? So Ahab marries Jezebel. And we see Jezebel now. Up to this point, Ahab really wasn't against God. He was more ambivalent to him. So when we first meet Ahab, what we hear about him is that he had done more evil, but that he was kind of just like, well, whatever. We're just going to kind of allow things to happen. But he wasn't malevolent towards God. But when Jezebel comes onto the scene, we get an entirely new level of false worship. And ultimately, Ahab turns against God. And there's a couple things for us to, to kind of understand about who Jezebel is. So she kind of appears in multiple chapters across Kings and the book of Kings in different spaces. And if you're interested in hearing anything about this, some of you history nerds are in the room kind of like me. If you want to know about all the history of the Kings, and there's some really incredible stories, you can read First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles in the Old Testament. That's where you hear about all these kings, about all these people and what all that they did. Okay, so if you're interested, that's where you can find, excuse me, find all these stories. Now, Jezebel caused Ahab to do a couple things. Number one, establish the worship of false idols. In 1 Kings chapter 16, 32, we see the exact thing that happens. The very first thing that happens, as soon as Jezebel comes onto the scene, what does it say about Ahab? He began to bow down and worship Baal. The first thing that he does is he begins to now worship another god when he marries this woman. Another thing that he did that, that Jezebel influenced Ahab is to seek out and eradicate the worship of God by attempting to kill his prophets. So there's a story in 1 Kings chapter 18 where it actually says that Jezebel wanted to hunt down and kill all of the prophets of God in Israel, in their own country. And a prophet named Obadiah actually hides a hundred of them in caves so that they wouldn't be killed under the wrath of Jezebel. Another thing that happens is not only were they trying to, to stamp out God's presence in Israel, what was happening is that she actually began to influence him to reinforce the worship of false gods by raising up prophets of her own. So in 1 Kings 18, 19, it says that she actually raised up almost 1,000 prophets, about 500 for Baal and another 500 of them for Asherah. So she's killing out, trying to kill all the prophets of, of the true God, and then at the same time raising up almost an army of other prophets to this false god. But ultimately, the biggest thing that she influenced Ahab was that Ahab ultimately ended up giving over complete control of himself to Jezebel. And we're going to pick up this story in 1 Kings chapter 21. This is probably the most illustrative and descriptive picture of the person of Jezebel. And I want to read it to you, and it will be on the screen. So let's follow along here. Verses 1 through 16 in 1 Kings 21. Now, there was a man named Naboth from Jezreel who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab. So we have the palace, and then next door is a vineyard. One day, Ahab said to Naboth, since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I would like to buy it to use it as a vegetable garden. Yeah, right. Who's going to take a vineyard and use it as a vegetable garden? I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I will pay you for it. It's not a bad deal. But Naboth replied, well, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down to my ancestors. So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. Can you imagine that? He's a king. I didn't get what I wanted. Mm. The king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. What a baby. 
Well, what's the matter, his wife Jezebel asked him. What's made you so upset that you're not eating? I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard or trade it, but he refused, Ahab told her. Well, are you the king of Israel or not? Jezebel demanded. Get up and eat something and don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. Now, notice here for a second that that, uh, Ahab did not stop her. This should have been a huge red flag, you know, when this woman who you know already in the archives of your brain has tried to kill off prophets of God. You are a prophet of, uh, or a king in God's kingdom, okay, of Israel. So, so you already have the background of what's happening that it's not right, even though he's been blinded to it. So all of this is taking place. He didn't get what he wanted. And now his wife says, you just sit here and eat your hot dogs, and I'm going to take care of this for you. This should have been a huge red flag. But unfortunately, Ahab at this point had lost control of himself. So verse 8, we pick it up. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, the king's name, sealed them with his kingly seal, and sent them to the elders and other leaders of the town where Naboth lived. In her letter, she commanded, call the citizens together for a time of fasting and give Naboth a place of honor, and then seat two scoundrels, scoundrels, who uses that word, across from him who will accuse him of cursing God and the king. Get this. So she's basically writing a letter and telling other people to, to smear his name, to accuse him of something that didn't happen. Accuse him of cursing God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the other town leaders followed the instructions Jezebel had written in the letters. They called for a fast, and they put Naboth at a prominent place before the people. Then the two scoundrels came and sat down across from him, and they accused Naboth before all of the people, saying, He cursed God and the king. So he was sent out, dragged outside the town and stoned to death. The town leaders then sent word back to Jezebel that Naboth had been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, Hey, you know that vineyard Naboth wouldn't sell you? Well, you can have it now. He's dead. So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard of Naboth to claim it. This is interesting. What a horrible person this woman is. She's terrible. She's so conniving. She's so wicked. But I think it can be hard for us to identify with someone like Jezebel. How the heck am I supposed to see myself in this story? I mean, that's what we're saying, right, during this Heroes and Villains series, is that these characters in these stories are not just characters, and these stories are not just, it's just stories. What they are is they're the story of us as people. But I don't know anybody like Jezebel, at least not to this extent. I don't know anyone who would murder someone wickedly, conniving and to steal something that wasn't theirs. But I believe that this story does have something to teach us. In fact, when I was in high school, I found a group of, uh, of friends called that, that actually people knew them as the trench coat clan. This was a group of, of kids in the high school that I went to who would dress all in black. They wore trench coats every day. They were wearing boots, and they had spikes and chains everywhere and sunglasses. They were um, individuals who would uh, hang out listening to heavy metal. They were skipping school all the time. Um, you know, some, some of them were doing drugs. They were involved in different religions and things. And I ended up getting to know these guys. I was hanging out with them. I, I, there's, the reason why is for a different story. But I began to hang out with them, and, and they became some of my closest friends. Some of them became uh, close friends with me. We would spend all our time together. My mom, I remember this is one guy named Bob, who my mom really did not like. You know what it's like when you meet a friend, you know, in high school or anywhere, and you're still living at home, and, and your parents just don't like an individual. 
And they say, I don't want you hanging out with him. But I was getting later into my teenage years, and, you know, and she couldn't keep me from hanging out with him when I was outside of the house. I mean, how many of you identify with that part of the story where you, just, you know that there are people that your parents don't want you hanging around with, but you do it anyway? So I was hanging around with him. I was hanging around with some other guys. And several of them were involved in what was called the Wiccan religion. Have you heard of Wicca? It's, it's, a, it's a worship of the earth and, and kind of like white magic. It's the idea of, of that the earth has energies and, and sort of pagan, pagan rituals. that Not like sacrifices, but that you can channel you know, the earth's power and harness it to, to do things for you. So it's, it's kind of interesting. But I became so close to them, and over time, I began to adopt some of their practices. I began to look like them. I started dressing like them. You wouldn't know it today, but I did. I had the whole trench coat thing. I, I had my sunglasses all day long, even when it was, like, raining. I, you know, was inside. I, was, I had chains. I, had, I bought spikes at Hot Topic and put them into my Doc Martin boots. I mean, this is who I was. Okay, so, so I began to, to act like them. I began to talk like them. I began to, my, my, my values changed. I began to, to see things differently. I began to talk differently. And I began to behave differently. And over time, I even began to pick up some of their spiritual practices. I started hanging out with them and getting involved in, in some of their uh, religious kind of ceremonies. I mean, there wasn't anything big because I don't think they really fully knew what they were doing. But, but I was getting involved in some of that stuff. My whole personality changed, my values changed, and the way that I acted changed, and my whole worldview had changed, and I was a different person within a year. And I think it'd be really hard for us to identify with a story like Ahab and like Jezebel, because I don't, I'm not a king, and you're not a king, and, and you don't have someone in your life who is so murderously conniving. We aren't murderers, we're not idolaters, but we are people who I think can identify with things that we know we shouldn't be involved in, but that have corrupting influences in our lives. I think about my life and how I'm influenced by things that I know I shouldn't have any business being a part of. I can look over my life and see a series of choices that I've made, a series of compromises. Uh, And we're not even talking spiritually or religiously, just things that I know aren't healthy, people that I shouldn't hang out with, people who are friends or influences, music or TV shows or whatever that I know are not healthy or not going to take me to a place where I should go. And I think if, if we're honest, I mean, every one of us can look back over our lives and say, yeah, I, I, I know what that's like. I've seen that happen in my life. And maybe even presently, there are things in your life or in my life that we know that are probably not healthy for us. And so when I read the story of Ahab and Jezebel, and when I think about my life, and I think about the things that have influenced me and impacted me, I have a few observations that I thought of that I think can apply to us. And this... I want you to track with me here, okay? I want you to come with me because the next few things I'm going to say are pretty heavy. And I've been thinking all week about this. And I asked a few of my pastor friends, you know, would you just pray for us this weekend? Because nobody wants to hear the kind of message that I'm about to say to you, the the pieces of it. But it's important for us to understand it. So actually, I want us to just pray right now. Would you all just close your eyes with me and just pray? God, you have created this message and this story, particularly in the Bible, so that we would learn something about you and about ourselves. It can be difficult for us, myself included, to hear something that, that, that points a finger at a place in our life that we probably cover over or don't want to look at. So right now, all of us, we just turn our, our, our eyes spiritually, you know, symbolically to heaven, and we just open our hearts to you and say, would you speak to us? Because I know, and I hope that everyone in this room knows, that unless we get a word from the God of this, of this universe, the creator of the universe, nothing else really matters. We came here to hear from you. So would you speak to us today? 
Help us to hear this challenging word and apply it to our lives and give me the words to say in Jesus' name. Amen. The first observation that I found to be true from the story that I've seen in Ahab's life and Jezebel and I've seen in my life is that compromise is the birthplace of sin. Compromise is the birthplace of sin. When we dabble in things that we know we have no business being involved in, our tendency, if you're anything like me, my parents said to me all the time, my mom always would say, Jared, you just always like to push the envelope. And I didn't really understand what that meant. She said, you always want to walk the edge. You probably see me here, like hanging off the stage halfway when I'm preaching, right? Like there is just something about me, and I think a lot, a lot of us, that the things that we like, the things that we want, even the things, that, have you noticed that the things that are the worst for you are the ones that are the most tantalizing, right? Think about food. I was just talking outside before service today that I struggle with food. And I say to myself, well, if I could just, just have maybe just a little bit, right? Oh, look at that incredible cheesecake. And I walk over to it. And I go, I really shouldn't have cheesecake because I'm trying to lose weight. I'm going on vacation. I really want to get healthy. I don't want to look like this anymore. I feel bad about myself and all, like, all this kind of stuff. I go, man, that cheesecake's really, I'll just have a bite, right? Just a little piece of cake, you know, and I put it on my plate. And I kind of take over. Before you know it, I've eaten the whole thing. And then what happens is that I end up myself back at the table and I have a second piece. Any of you guys in life group know what I'm talking about? But you have snacks, you've got food, and you're like, I just had dinner. But, you know, I'm going to have a second dinner, right? That's, this is kind of what I'm talking about. It's a sort of a silly way of understanding this. But it's true that compromise is the birthplace of sin. James 1.14 says, temptation comes from our own desires which what? Entice us and drag us away. So James is painting this picture that there's like, that like whatever it is, whatever it is, and I'm not saying that eating is sinful. It can be. What I am saying to you, though, is that whatever it is that you know I probably shouldn't do, it's just sitting over there lurching. Come on. Come on. Like, it's okay. I promise you. And then you get there, and you're like, oh. And you come in, and you look at it. You dabble in a little bit. And what does it do? Wraps you up and starts dragging you away into the closet, pummeling you and force-feeding you whatever it is that you want. Compromise is the beginning of it. And that's what happened with Ahab. God clearly set up the rules for him and for all people in Israel and said, do not worship other gods. Do not do it. I am the only one. And he said, and don't bother marrying people outside of this faith because it will corrupt you. It's not a racist thing. This is not a stereotype or a prejudice thing because it was allowed for people who came into there. God always talked about taking care of the foreigners and, and the widows and the orphans. But he told them, he said, when they come in, if they become a part of our family, then you can. But he was saying, don't go out there and marrying a pagan. Don't marry a Wiccan. Don't marry a Buddhist. He's saying all of these things because he knew what would happen. But hey, what did he do? He compromised in these little places and it began to take root in his life. Compromise is the birthplace of sin. The second observation I have found, if we take it a step further and we see in Ahab's life from Jezebel, is that left unchecked, sin leads to spiritual corruption and domination. So the next verse in James 1, 15, so right after it says temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away, this says these desires give birth to sinful actions. Because now it's not just enough for me to look at that website. So guys, anybody out there struggling with pornography? You're like, I'm not going to go look at porn, but you know what, man, I think I'll just, uh, I'll go to the, what's that, what's that one website, Ver, Verge or Verge.com or whatever it is. It's the one that has a whole, a, 
compilation of, of, of funny videos, and then every once in a while, a girl in a bikini pops up. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there are these kinds of sites, right? Sportsillustrated.com. I'm going to go there, and I'm just going to look at, see what's going on with the Steelers today. And then, oh, Swimsuit Edition just came out last month, right? Okay? This is what happens. You compromise in an area, and then it entices you, drags you away, and it becomes sinful action. And how easily is it for men, for women, for anyone, whatever it is, once you get in the door, you walk all the way down the hallway. That's what it's talking about, is that it becomes sinful actions, and then it begins to come in and spiritually corrupt you and ultimately dominate you. If any of you are in this room today, and you're in a space where you feel dominated by a sinful behavior, it might not just be porn. It could be gossip. It could be doubt. It could be lying. It could be stealing. It could be infidelity. It could be anything. If there are habits in your life or things that you feel like, you know what, maybe you're lying to yourself and you're telling yourself, you know what, I could totally stop whenever I want, right? How many of you, if you honestly took a moment right now and said, how, how would you feel? You know that moment. I have been there myself where, where I lie to myself and then I sit there and I imagine myself saying, what if I just stop this forever? How would you feel? Something inside of you goes, like tightens up because it has a grip on you. What that means is that that thing that you have compromised and allowed in there has grown roots and has taken hold in your life is beginning to influence you. This is important to understand because the word sin is something we don't like to talk about. And it's even a word that we forget even what it means. Because it's such a Christian world and we live in such a post-Christian society. But what it really means is this, this nature that we have inside of us that rebels against God's design for who we are. God created us to be loving, created us to have community, to have relationships, to be generous, to give life, not to take it or to destroy it. But our tendencies of anything outside of God is selfish. It is grabbing. It is acquiring. It is breaking. It is smashing. It is pushing others down. It is grabbing and reaching higher at the expense of others. Everything that we do in our lives that is outside of God and who he is and his principles is, is sin. It is, it is the opposite of who God is. And when it is unchecked in our life, if we allow areas of our life to to take hold or to take root, even a little bit, it begins to grab you and it begins to kind of take over. Any of you ever seen the movie The Matrix? Ever seen the movie The Matrix and Mr. Smith, in the, I think in the second movie, like, you know, he, he kind of walks up to another individual and he kind of does this hand move and then this black goo starts to, starts to, starts to kind of overtake him. That's what we're talking about. This idea of when you get involved in something that you shouldn't be involved in. And some things are more dangerous and worse than others. But when you do, what happens is imagine black little tentacles that begin to kind of worm its way like roots around your heart spiritually. That's what's happening. If you find yourself in a place where you're dry in your faith, I haven't connected with God recently. I don't even have a desire to spend time with God. I don't pray anymore. I don't read my Bible anymore. And, and maybe you say to yourself, you know, I don't, man, I, this is what happened to me. A, a couple months ago, I felt like God said to me, do you have any limits? Like, is there a place where you would, where you would say no to that TV show or to that movie or to this book or whatever? Do you have limits, Jared? Not that God was condemning me and saying like I was going to hell, that there was like sin, like it wasn't. But he was saying to me, Jared, when is, when is, you know, enough nudity too much? 
When is, when is too much violence too much violence? When is whatever it might be, when is too much food at the dinner table too much? Whatever it was. Like God is looking at me and saying, and I think he's looking at all of us and saying, are there things in your life that have begun to control you more than you think? More than you are aware? Ahab had no idea what was happening to him. Yes, he began in a bad place already because it already said that he was, had done more evil than the kings before him. But he wasn't worshiping other gods, which is one of the biggest things. He compromised, and it began to control everything about him, and it corrupted him. Sin's goal is to control you and turn you away from God. Every single thing in your life that is not from God has one goal, and that is to destroy you and push you away from God. So if you find yourself, if you were to take an inventory of your life right now and you say, you know what, you know, that show is pretty gruesome or whatever. Man, like when I watch it, I, I, I like, have you, ever, have you ever watched something and you walk away and you go, I just feel kind of dirty after watching it. You ever, ever done, I, I'll be honest, say that I have. I'm ashamed to say that I've watched certain movies that I, when I, and this is, this, is, this is the picture, this is an exact picture of it. I'm just being honest with you guys. When I went and saw the first movie, Saw, and if you've ever seen the movie Saw, maybe you don't want to raise your hand and say you did that. Okay. <laughs> so I went and saw it in the theater, and I walked out of that theater feeling so just gross because it was so depraved as a movie. It was literally designed to just glorify how to, like, kill somebody in some gruesome way, right? And I remember feeling, walking out of the theater, going, gosh, I will never watch another movie like that again. And then what happens later on down the road? That movie comes out and it spawns a whole bunch of other movies that are like it, right? You kind of watch some of those movies. By the time Saw 2 came out, I was like, eh, no big deal, right? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever had God say something to you that you knew was something that, man, I really shouldn't be involved in that? And then you look back on your life, you know, two years later, and you're like, wow, I do a whole lot more than that now. This is the reality of what sin does to us. It desensitizes us. And then at the same time, I hear people all the time, myself included, say, man, where is God? I don't hear him speaking to me anymore. I, I, I don't, it's been a long time since I've felt like my, my relationship has been vibrant with him. Well, think about all the things that you're putting into your life that are blocking your communication to him. I'm not at all trying to like be judgmental. But what I'm saying here is this is the reality of my life and I bet a lot of yours. That there are things that we have allowed little bits to go, oh man, that's kind of fun. It's not a big deal as long as I don't like really dive into it, you know? And then before you know it, it has controlled you and it begins to turn you away from God. It's not the issues themselves that are the problem. It's what they do to us. So if there's a TV show that doesn't, that it's like, well, I can watch a TV show and I really don't feel like there's a problem with it. But if you find that, that, that the effect of that show or movie or songs or albums or books or people you hang out with or whatever... The effect of it is that you just feel in your spirit that this is something that's pulling you away from God. It's doing its job. The sin isn't necessarily the thing. It's what's happening to you, your decision to allow it to control you. Sin's goal is to control you and turn you away from God. And this is exactly what happened to Ahab. Now, now that I've spiritually pummeled all of you into the ground, there is good news. There is good news. The last observation that I have is that redemption and restoration is available even after disobedience. We actually see that in Ahab's life. 1 Kings chapter 21, 27, and 29. When Ahab heard this message, he tore his clothing and he dressed in burlap. This was an old, an old uh, 
tradition that the Jewish people would do when they realized their sin or when they were mourning. They would tear open their clothes, like right now, if I were to just rip the shirt open in, in disgust over what I have done. Dress in burlap is like a, just, I'm not worthy of this. They would cover their faces in ash to basically prove, to show that they were so sullen and mournful about what they've done. He had just received a message like, look at what happened to your kingdom because of what this woman, the influence in her life, in your life, look at, look at the, rub, the, rub, the rubbish and, and destruction that is everywhere because of it. And when he saw it, when his eyes finally opened and he realized the destruction that had been wreaked in his life, he, he, he wept in front of God. And he slept in burlap and went about in deep mourning. Verse 28, then another message from the Lord came to Elijah, the prophet. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has done this, I will not do what I promised during his lifetime. This is a beautiful picture that even though he did exactly what God told him not to do, even though he became corrupted by it, even though for all intents and purposes he went on a mission to stamp out everything that God was about, we see God returning and saying, because he humbled himself before me, I will love him anyway. It's beautiful. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 6, 23, we see it a different way. For the wages of sin is death. We all deserve it, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then again in Romans 5, 8 through 11, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, you see, that's the thing that makes it right. It's not even just the humility. It is the humility, but it's, but it's that Christ gave his life for us. And that sacrifice is what makes a way for us to have forgiveness forever, not just over and over and over again. It says, but because we've been made right by the blood of Jesus, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation, just like Ahab. And for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. We're not enemies of him any longer. Because of what Jesus has done, every one of us can be a friend of God. And so our big idea for the day, the thing that kind of wraps this whole message up is this, is that spiritual compromise breeds corruption. But clean up with Jesus. Spiritual compromise breeds corruption in our spirits. It will affect everything that we are. We can clean up with Jesus. And I was thinking about Mr. Clean and these, these Mr. Clean uh, wipes, like these erasers, magic erasers. This is what it's like when we give our lives to Christ. He takes these. Have you ever used these Mr. Clean magic, magic erasers? They're incredible. There's a paint on the wall. I could probably erase this whole black section with one of these things. And that's what the blood of Christ does for us. It comes into our life and it erases all of our sin. It erases our disobedience. It erases our, 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 our adultery in our spiritual life. I knew who Jesus was and I knew what God did for me and I was a Christian when I began to dabble in another religion. I am no better than Ahab. But Jesus forgave me anyway. The forgiveness of God, the redemption and the restoration is available to each one of us even after disobedience. It's beautiful. And Romans 6, 12, 13 gives us a, a picture and says, now that you've had this forgiveness, this is what it should be. Do not let sin control the way you live. 
Do not give in to sinful desires. He says, I get it that this is a struggle. I understand that this is a problem for you, but you now have to make a choice. Don't compromise anymore. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, he says, so do this instead. Give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. What does that mean? It means the way that we live. It means the choices that we make. It means the things that we're involved in, our clubs, our social activities, the places we hang out, the places we shop, the entertainment that we expose ourselves to, the magazines that we read. And I could be talking about Us Weekly or the tabloids all the way down to to, uh, Newsweek. It doesn't matter if there's something that's influencing you and pulling you away from what God wants for you. The influences in our lives and the people that we spend our time with. I would ask you this question to close today. What is your Jezebel? What is it in your life? I believe, I believe that as I've been preaching today, that the Spirit of God who lives in this place has been painting pictures in your mind of things that are the Jezebels in your life, the influences in your life that are influencing you away from God. For some of you, you are entrenched in sin. For some of you, you look at your life and you say, oh my gosh, the Spirit of God is speaking to me and is saying, you have got all of this stuff that you've got to get rid rid of and get right. Some of you, God is saying to you, he's just painting a little picture of some things on the outsides, some weeds that are growing up on this garden of your soul. And he's saying, these are things that are beginning to become a problem if you don't take care of them. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're just going to, actually, I just want all to stand together. Let's all stand up. So I'm going to ask three questions. Let's close our eyes. So I ask the question of what is your Jezebel? I'm going to ask three questions, and each, each one, just at the end, I'm going to just ask you to just raise your hand if you want to respond to this. And we're going to pray together. That's all we're going to do. Close your eyes. The first question is, and actually before we do, I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, now speak to our lives. We give you permission to invade the deepest, darkest recesses of our souls, of our lives. Shine a spotlight that will stamp out all darkness. Let every crack, every dungeon, every cell Be open to your presence right now and speak to us. The things that are hidden from us, the things that are blind in our eyes that we can't see because of the influence of those things in our life, show them to us now in Jesus' name. The first question, are there areas of compromise in your life? I want you right now, listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you. What are areas of compromise in your life? Identify them. Give them a name. It is very important for you to call out whatever this thing is. Because it will try to hide. It will try to slither its way out. You must give it a name and call it out. Responding to the Holy Spirit saying, I hear you, God, this thing. Number two, where have you allowed sin to take root and influence you? Holy Spirit, again, take an inventory through our lives right now. What are the areas of my life that I have actually gone beyond compromise and it has become active sin? Or even subtle active sin. Maybe it's hidden. Maybe it's the way I treat my wife. Maybe it's the way I treat my kids. Maybe it's the way I go about my work, cutting corners. Maybe it's, maybe it's just I've allowed greed or even fear to take root in my life. I don't know, whatever it is. Where have you allowed sin to take root and influence you? Give it a name. Again, call it out. 
And right now you might feel powerless to it and it's okay. It's okay for you. It's not, right now we're not worrying about how you feel about it. We're just calling it out because we're going to trust that the God who created us, the one who gave Jesus his son to eradicate sin and to cover it in our lives has the power to enable us to say no to that sin and to overcome that sin. But in a minute we'll get there. Right now we're just calling it out. We're being obedient and saying, God, I hear you. This is an area I see you're putting your finger on. And lastly, do you want the restor- restoration and redemption that Jesus offers? Because you have a choice now. You can either say, I see this area of compromise. I see this area of, of sin entangled and, and corruption in my life. And I could stay on doing it because I don't want to change. And if that's your decision, fine. But if you want to beat it, if you want to be done with it, if you want to move forward in it, if you want to humble yourself before God and be restored, if you want your marriage to be fixed, if you want your relationship with your children to be restored, if you want your finances to get better, if you want your debt to be eliminated, and I'm not saying these things are going to happen overnight, but I am saying that God's will for your life is wholeness. It's restoration. He is a creator, not a destroyer. But in order for you to be restored, to be created again, for those things to be recreated in your life, you have to make a choice to go through the path of Jesus. And the path of Jesus is restoration. So I ask again, do you want the restoration and redemption that Jesus offers? If you want to respond to any of those questions, you say, Jared, I have compromise in my life. Jared, I have sin in my life. But Jared, most importantly, I want Jesus to restore my life and to fix those things and to take me beyond them so I'm no longer a slave to them. I just want you to raise your hand right now. Right now, just raise your hand all over the room. Praise you, God. Anybody else? The Holy Spirit is calling you today. Not Jared. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Amen. Put your hands down. All across the room, so many people are responding to the word of the Lord today. We're just going to pray right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead us in prayer, but I want you to, to, to symbolically attach your spirit to my prayer, okay? So it's like if I'm praying and I'm just sort of sending a line up to heaven, right? What, imagine one thread. And what you're doing now as you join me in agreement in this thing is you're attaching another thread to make it like a rope. And that's what's happening, okay? So we're praying right now, and spiritually, we're reaching God, and his presence that is in this room is going to begin to speak in your life. He's going to give you courage to say no to that thing. He's going to give you ideas about what to do instead. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're just praying for those. So, Father, right now, we come in the name of Jesus as a body of believers who say, I don't want my compromise in my life anymore. I don't want the sin that is entangling me and is causing me to to be away from you and turning me away from you. It's causing me to be cynical and angry, and it's pushing me away from you. I don't want those things. I want to say no to those things. I now condemn those things in Jesus' name, whatever it is in your heart right now. Those ideas, give it a name and say, I condemn this thing under the name of Jesus Christ. It has no control over me any longer by the power of God. Say that in your spirit right now. Jesus, whatever those things are in my life, I condemn them in the name of Jesus. They have no control over me any longer. And now... We receive it. We open our hearts up to you, God, to give us fullness, to give us restoration, to give us healing. God, and it's not anything magical. It's your spirit. It's just communing with the God who created the universe and the flowers and the rivers and the mountains. These are all wonderful things, good things. You did not create lies and, and destruction. You created life. And now we just want to tap into that. Recreate the new thought patterns in our hearts. 
God, if it's pornography, would you show us that we that, that is not who we are? But that instead we look at we look at women through the eyes of that you created them as beautiful. They're sons and daughters. God, if it's if it's it's doubt, it's fear, not the kind that's healthy, but the kind that just controls us. That is not who you are. Create, create faith inside of us. Create excitement and wonder. God, for addictions. Break them in the name of Jesus. We walk forward. We give you control in our lives. This is important. It's the last thing right here. We want the restoration in our lives, but the things that we do and the things that we struggle with will come back unless we give Christ control of our lives. What did that scripture say? It said, instead, give your lives, your whole bodies to God. And that means spending time now instead of watching those things, watching edifying things, listening to other things, reading God's word, listening to worship music and experiencing the presence of God, hanging out with other Christians and people who will lift you up and encourage you, making choices in your life that will create instead of destroy. And so now, God, we give you permission to call us to those things, bring people in our lives who will pull us to those things, who will encourage us in those things. We give our whole lives to you. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Whew! Man, tell you what. Well, I hope that uh, this message today challenged you. I'll understand if no one wants to go to lunch with me. (laughs) But sometimes you just got to hear what God wants to say. I encourage you this week. Encourage each other. Because I promise you, the things that you have made decisions today to leave behind will try to follow you promise you they will. So you have got to remember today, listen to this podcast if you need to all throughout the week, share it with your friends, tell them the same thing, and then encourage each other. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week, Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.